0: hello everyone and welcome to work in progress the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by lmsl the life management science labs we are champions of life management science providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with expert knowledge of professionals in the field i am your host joanna let's get started
1: Hi everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm Gabriella Yastra. I'm standing in for your host today. And today we're going to be talking about upskilling your learning abilities and your productivity with Lori Breslow, who is a senior lecturer at the MIT Sloan School of Management. and she was the founding director of teaching and the of the Teaching and Learning Laboratory at MIT. That's Hi, right. How are you? Thank you I'm, for joining me. I'm glad to be here. Um, So, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you um, before we do get on to our topic. So, do you mind, you know, introducing yourself? So, I have
2: been teaching at the college level for 30 some odd years. Uh, Right now, I'm teaching primarily communication courses in the management school, but I have taught teaching and learning at the college level. And my research is in teaching and learning in higher education. Um, Like many people in the last few years, I've uh, been researching digital learning. The teaching and learning lab was one of the first places to publish research on MOOCs. Do you remember MOOCs? Massive online open courses. So it was a big deal back in 2013 and 2014. Uh, Lately, I've been researching a credential course that MIT Sloan is giving in finance, and we're also working on some ways to ease the transition of pre-FROSH, students who come in uh, to MIT during the summer, to ease their transition into MIT.
1: Interesting. So that's, it's so different from, I think, what I would expect learning to be about because um, it's, I guess, very nuanced. And um, I don't know, I imagine just high school, you finish high school, you go into university or college and um, you're looking at, yeah, how different aspects of, you know, starting in summer and then moving on to like, you know, full on university or college. Wow. Interesting.
2: Yep. Great. Well, we know that. We know that emotions play a large role in how you learn. So if we can reduce anxiety for students coming into a place like MIT, then they're more likely to be successful.
1: Yes, I can imagine that um, starting starting at any uni, but especially something as prestigious as um, MIT would be very um, nerve-wracking. Yes. Particularly, I guess, for, for students who haven't got much you know, um, exposure to university or college. Um, I was just going to we'll... say, go ahead. Go oh, no, ahead. I was, uh, no, no, go ahead. You say. I was
2: just going to say, at MIT, one of the problems is that the students have always been the smartest in their high school and all of a sudden they're in with 400 or 500 other students who are really smart.
1: Yes, I can imagine the kids who aren't as smart suddenly find it very, um, a big change for them. I guess a bit like moving from primary school to like high school where suddenly you go from the big fish to the little fish again.
2: That's right. Mm. Exactly. The transitions are hard.
1: Yeah, Okay. great. Can't wait to learn more about this. Um, But before we do, we're going to do a section we like to call Have You Met Laurie, where we learn some of your favorite things. Sure. Uh, So the first thing I want to learn is what's your favorite book? So
2: uh, I have read nothing over the last three or four months because once the semester is on, all I do is read papers and presentations and briefings from the students. So I'm really looking forward to starting a book called "An Immense World," because it's about how animals sense the world differently from us and what we can learn from that.
1: Interesting. I know that, um, like you know, cats use their whiskers and dogs have a, you know different color vision, but I'm guessing that there are lots of different ways of seeing the world. Absolutely, that'd be so interesting. Great. I uh, I'd like to hear how you go with that book as well. I'll let you know. Thank you. And what about a movie you've enjoyed recently? So I saw that on the list of questions you
2: sent me. Uh And I said to my husband, you know, we haven't been to a movie since before the pandemic. So I have to talk about what's on a streaming service.
0: That's okay.
1: So
2: so I know you're in Australia. Has Succession been a big
1: show in Australia? I I mean, I can't can't speak for everyone in Australia, but I know my partner and his family are massively into it.
2: So I was massively into it. Um, and then also a streaming um, on uh, Hulu called The Great, which is about Catherine the Great. So that's what I I've been watching. I
1: don't know much about her. What, um, you know, who was she? She was Empress of Russia back
2: in the mid 1700s. She overthrew her husband and and uh, replaced him on the throne, and she ruled for about fifty years. Wow, interesting person.
1: Sounds like a good TV show.
2: That's great. It's sort of a comedy if you can think about how they could make a comedy over a storyline like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the best things come from unexpected pairings, comedy, and this high drama situation. Good point. Yeah. Mm. And do you listen to any podcasts?
2: I do. So I listen to the New York Times, uh, Ezra Klein podcast, and then I le- listen to education podcasts. So here in the States, we have an organization called EdSurge, particularly around, again, digital teaching and learning. I listen to their podcasts and to an industry publication called Inside Higher Education.
1: Interesting. Um... I didn't, I, what I love about this job is learning about all the different, um, industry podcasts that there are out there just for those specific, um, professionals. I would never have known that there was a special, um, education, uh, podcast. Yep. yep. Great. Um, so thank you. And, um, do you have a role model?
2: So I gave actually this question a lot of thought and um, one of my role models is the former president of MIT. His name was Chuck Vest. Uh, And what I learned from him is that if you are going to be a leader, you have to lead from a moral place. And that's Mm. always stuck with me. When I was director of TOL, I had about 15 people who reported to me and I tried to um, I try to emulate Chuck. Mm,
1: that's, that's, um, I think it's very important to lead from, yeah, where your morals are, because that's sort of what grounds you and sort of informs everything that you do.
2: That's right. And he, um, I mean, you could tell that he acted that way in the way that he led MIT. Mm,
1: sounds like a great role model.
2: My other role model you probably won't have heard of is I.F. Stone. Um, So, during the Vietnam War, he was an independent journalist. He wrote something called I.F. Stone's Weekly Reader, and he was really at the forefront of the anti-war movement. When he retired in his mid-70s, which I'm getting close to, he went back and learned ancient Greek and then wrote a book called The Trial of Socrates. And I thought that was fabulous. That, And we'll get into this learning a whole new thing.
1: Um, I, I am looking forward to, I think, having some more time when I'm a bit older and getting to learn lots of different things. I mean, at the moment, I am learning really interesting things, but I think some of those more... Um, less career-based things I would really love to learn when I'm a bit older. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And um, do you have a course that you've completed that has inspired you?
2: Yes. So my undergraduate work was at Indiana University back in the 1970s. Um, And you can say I say that with a little bit of a grimace because you can figure out how old I am. Um, and I took a course from a very famous geneticist named Tracy Sonnenberg, and genetics was just beginning. And he felt that the layperson had to be educated because there were going to be important decisions that we were going to have to make. Uh, and he taught the course from that perspective, and he taught the course with passion and enthusiasm because he was motivated by that. And he also, and we can get into this as well, um, taught it without the curse of knowledge. And the curse of knowledge means that when you're an expert, you forget what a novice needs to know and and where they're coming from. But Tracy was very good about realizing who he was teaching and what he was trying to do.
1: Mm, I feel like that's a very... Hard thing to remember once you're an expert um in something. Um I'm certainly no expert in most things, but I was trying to teach my friend how to roller skate and I was like, Yeah, you just stand up and you just go. And she was like, How do you move your feet like that? And yeah, it was impossible to explain it.
2: So we I have taught a course on teaching and learning for future college professors. And the very first thing that we do is we ask the students to learn something and to write about it in great detail. And one of my favorite was the student learned now, this is a PhD student at MIT in biology, and he learned how to blow bubbles with chewing gum. Uh-huh. And when you have to record Take notes on how you're learning, you realize what the individual steps are. Mm.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I think maybe I should try that and then I'll be a better roller skating teacher. That's right. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> mm.
1: Actually, I've got a few hobbies that I'm thinking of learning. So after I can merge those two things together. Good, good. Perfect. Um, so, how, uh, over the course of your experience, how yeah. do you define personal productivity? So,
2: I can only speak from my own experience, I haven't studied this at all, and I think about personal product productivity as setting up goals, and they can be in any area, it could be in career, it could be in your personal life, how you set up goals is uh, I think the most important part of the process, and again, we can talk about that in relation to learning and then achieving those goals. And it's as simple as as that. Mm. Um, It's a lot harder to do than I just said.
1: It sounds very easy when you say, okay, you need a goal and then you achieve the goal. Right. Easy, it's two steps. Yeah,
2: done, right.
1: But as we learned just before, um, it's actually lots of tiny, minute steps that we have to make. That's right. But I guess goal setting is the first one. Yes. And, um, and,
2: and I'm just saying, I was just going to say, how you set goals for personal productivity and learning is absolutely crucial. Mm,
1: okay. We'll definitely be um, talking about that later. Um, but I would like to, I guess, define some things first. So what how do you define learning and learning abilities?
2: So at the simplest level, I thought a lot about this. At the simplest level, learning is acquiring and mastering, and we can talk about what we mean by mastering, new knowledge and skills. The thing that learning scientists and cognitive psychologists have brought to our understanding of learning is that it's acquiring and mastering for retention and long-term transfer and that part about transfer is really important because transfer means that you can take what you've learned for instance you learn know how to roller skate can you transfer that to ice skating roughly so you would take what you knew about roller skating, but you would push that for the new environment of an ice skating rink. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about acquiring, mastering skills and knowledge for retention and long term transfer.
1: Okay, so I guess learning a skill as something as easy as reading and writing and using that oh, which skill is very and- hard. <laughs> which is very hard but go ahead okay something as hard as le- something is something that we learn at such a young age maybe as reading and writing and then we transfer that from just reading and writing into writing essays writing masterpieces That's right. um writing music maybe um a very different skill but kind of similar in a sense
2: you're exactly right
1: hmm and you you said um Yes, acquiring and mastering um, were were two things that are part of that. Um, Did you wanna explain them a bit more detail? Right, so the cognitive psychologists
2: have identified what we call superficial learning and deep learning. Mm -hmm. And as the names apply, you could learn something superficially. In fact, most college students, we would argue, learn, for example, physics superficially because they learn it for the test. And once they pass the test, hopefully, that's it. But if you learn deeply, and that's what we call mastery, then you, again, can use that learning in novel situations, circumstances, to meet challenges, um, and to solve problems.
1: Okay, so it's like, I mean, I'm sure most people have experienced this high school, university. You learn everything in two weeks, before the exam. And then you ace the exam. And then a month later, you're like, I don't even remember what I did in that exam. So that's, um, I guess, the superficial side. Whereas, again, something like reading and writing, you know, that we have to use every single day, that's obviously deeply learned because we wouldn't be doing the exams if we (laughs) couldn't do that. Yes, that's a perfect um, description of the differences between the two. Hmm. Interesting. So I've learned a lot of things, uh, superficially.
2: <laughs>
1: Most of us do.
2: Cause we don't mm-hmm. need to learn it deeply.
1: I guess is there, there's also, I guess, um, a use case, like we don't need to remember a lot of everything that we learn. Um, and our brain sort of says, Oh, well, this isn't important anymore. and chucks it out so we can remember all the good stuff.
2: Right. So that's, the part about setting goals is thinking about, do you need to learn this just superficially? And after you've taken the exam, you don't need to remember it anymore, or do you need to learn it deeply? And when we talk about transfer, particularly at the college level, one of the things that universities are criticized for is that students learn superficially but they can't transfer it to the real world.
1: Mm, Yeah. I've found that with my uh, university. I studied journalism and then I finished and I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, I learned a lot of uh, very theoretical things, Uh but not much actual how to set up a camera.
2: But you're practicing right now, right?
1: That's true. That's true. That's
2: right. So that ability to take that school learning, as we sometimes call it, and transfer it to interview me is exactly what we're talking about in terms of deep learning.
1: Okay, great. Glad I finally learned something from that course. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, you've talked a bit about what learning is, but why should we learn? How does it promote or improve our productivity?
2: Well, I'm going to change that question just a little bit for you and your yes. and our listeners. Um, the question is, how can we be strategic learners? How can we learn efficiently and effectively? Mm. So I think personal productivity is based on learning. How could you not be productive if you weren't learning? Sometimes that's done unconsciously, and sometimes you set, again, a goal for yourself. The question is, how do you learn efficiently. How are you a strategic learner? And there we know some things from research about how to learn more efficiently. And I can talk about some of that if you would like. Yes, please. Uh, Okay. So, we know that the brain does three things basically. And you talked about it already. We encode, we store, and we retrieve. And a lot of what we encode goes into working memory. We forget it almost instantaneously. Now, if you want to keep things in working memory, one of the strategies you can use is to chunk. So, for example, I show my students a bunch of geometric shapes. Like this, they look like that. And I ask them to memorize a number associated with those shapes. Now the MIT students are really good at this. So like me, a mere human being, I can't do it. They can do it. There are nine shapes and numbers. But if you show the average person, maybe you or me, that this is a tic-tac-toe board, now we have chunks, the um, graphic representation and the number together. So you want to remember a telephone number. First three numbers, next three numbers, next four numbers. If you're in the States, that's how how we do it. So chunking is one strategy. We also know that repeating information, the brain will, the more you repeat, the more the brain will hopefully get it into long-term memory but there's something that's really important called spaced retrieval. So one of the things that students do wrong on tests is that they cramp and they're highlighting and underlining and then they just try to cramp. That will not help you learn efficiently. What you want to do is at intervals, you want to go back to the material that you're trying to learn and you want to test yourself. There's a very famous experiment where students were given a set of words and they read it once, twice, three times. Other students were given the same set of words, but they had to recall them the second and third time. The students who were forced to recall remembered the words longer than the students who just read the words so space retrieval is important
1: yeah i think have i done that before um i mean i must have i must have Would i, have I had... do find sorry
2: i was just going to ask did you ever use flash cards as a kid because if you use flash cards you can look at them once you can mm-hmm. put them away look at them t- again after a period of time put them away and you'll find that that's retrieval of practice
1: i think that i have done that i did that with chinese except i can't remember any chinese <laughs> well that theory goes out the window <laughs> i don't know chinese is a very hard language to learn though yeah, so.
2: i can imagine mm,
1: yeah um one day i'm gonna learn it one day when no. i've got some time
2: yeah so
1: those are just two ideas of mm. how
2: you can learn more efficiently.
1: Okay, so yeah, I guess if you're like trying to learn like an equation or something, chunking would be really great because it's a way of just getting a string of numbers that you need to remember yep. in um in a way that you can remember it for an exam, whereas um the, you know, repeated learning um is better for maybe um bigger ideas. Um and more complex uh, ideas things that you're not necessarily memorizing
2: well I have another um, tactic for you mm-hmm. if you're trying to memori- if you're trying to learn bigger concepts it's called mm-hmm. concept mapping and, uh-huh. and there you create a diagram with how the concepts connect to each other and the very fact that you're doing it will help you better to learn uh, what you're trying to get under your belt
1: a bit like um, uh, like a mind map type thing.
2: Exactly, a mind map. It's just...
1: Okay, a different word.
2: Different word. Exactly.
1: Okay, so all the times I drew on my bedroom window with um, markers, that was that was me doing a, um, a mind map. It was me learning. That's right.
2: And you could do it for roller skating. You mm-hmm. could break down the roller skating into different sub-skills, we call them sub-skills. And then you could connect those sub skills to the larger concept
1: of roller skating interesting. hmm, I wonder what that would look like. I'll have to go home and try that, okay. so yeah, those are some things that we can do to you know improve our learning skills. Um, so. What, what are some problems that people have with learning? So we've talked about you know how to improve it, but what are some of the main problems? It's hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's often not fun.
2: Mm-hmm. It's often frustrating. And in fact, there's some research that shows the harder it is and the more frustrated you get, the likelihood is that you will learn this thing better. Okay. So this goes to the idea of of what's called interleaving. And this is another tactic you can use. So let's say you wanted to learn about Catherine the Great's reign, Mm -hmm. and you also had to learn Chinese. So if you um, alternate that learning So on Monday, you're learning about Catherine the Great and on Tuesday, you're learning about Chinese and Wednesday, you go back to Catherine the Great. It will be harder for you. But the chances of you learning both are better.
1: Huh? Is that why we have at school like different classes for different things over the days? So we're not just learning maths on Monday. We're learning maths on Monday and then we're learning it on Wednesday. That's right. Exactly. Ah, Interesting. Yep. Yep. I I thought it was just because, I don't know, we get bored. (laughs) Well, it's that too. I don't mean to to disregard that.
2: Um, Let's go back for a second to the emotional component of learning. Mm So, we know, again, that it can be frustrating, that it can be um, stressful, Um, and I noticed on your questions that you wanted to talk about Mm self-efficacy. So, self-efficacy is basically that you have convinced yourself that you can do a certain task. It's a little different than self-confidence, because self-confidence is, oh, I can do anything. But self-efficacy is, I can learn inferential statistics. And it's a a head game you have to play with yourself. So you may not feel self-efficacious at the beginning of whatever you're trying to learn, but if you are pretty sure that you can, in fact, learn this, it helps to reduce the anxiety and the stress. Hmm. And one of the ways that you can improve your self-efficacy is by looking at role models. So, if you looked at somebody who was a champion roller skater, you could say, I could do as well as she can. Um, Or you could go to your friend and you could say, do you think I roller skate pretty well? And the friend is likely to say, even if he or she doesn't believe it, uh, yeah, you're a good roller skater. So you gradually build up that self-efficacy and it helps to reduce the frustration and the anxiety.
1: Hmm. Would it help then if, you know, you went to your friend and you said, you know, um, where were you two years ago when you were starting out? Were you as bad as I am? And they said, yes, but look at me two years later. I'm so great at this. You can do it too. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, seeing your role model in someone, seeing someone else like you that has that have done it uh-huh. um, can improve your self-efficacy.
2: Yes, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely.
1: Great. I'm going to find all my um, friends and uh, quiz them about where they were uh-huh. when they started. <laughs> That's
2: right. And, and that helps to motivate you. And we know motivation mm-hmm. is a big part of learning. Um, and you can be motivated. Well, I really want to learn to roller skate. Um, mm-hmm. So you have an intrinsic motivation. Or let's say all your friends go to the roller skating rink on Saturday night and you're sitting at home watching succession and and so your extrinsic motivation might be well all my friends can do this I want to do it too. Mm. Um, And so if you can identify your motivation it might be you get a promotion, it might be that um, you bond with a partner because you've learned this. Um, If you can keep that motivation in front of you it also helps with the frustration and the stress of learning something new.
1: What about if you're trying to learn something that you, and you think about it and you're not actually motivated to do it. For example, you, um, your parents really want you to become a doctor and you sign up to be to med school, you go to med school and you realize you really don't want to be a doctor, but So, you and you're trying to find the motivation to learn, you're trying, and you don't believe that you can do it. Is there any way you can do it then, or is it sort of just a lost cause? Well,
2: I guess it depends on whether or not the reward is that you're going to make your parents happy. If you can reframe it that way. Um, But going back to it's really boring, and I don't want to be a doctor, it's pretty difficult.
1: Mm, okay, so we do need to, I guess, yeah, be motivated to actually achieve that, not just because of someone else's um pressure right,
2: right. Mm. but but you can also reframe motivation in a variety of ways,
1: okay. Um, and
2: can I talk about one other thing? I'm not sure if it will follow the question that you're thinking about, but I think it's yeah, really sure. important to get out. yeah, go ahead. There's a whole bunch of research about what's called self-regulated learning. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially, again, skills and tactics that you use to learn how to learn. Mm -hmm. So one one of the strategies you can use is to always monitor how your learning is progressing. So again, let's go back to you learning Chinese, okay? So, let's say you've learned how to count in Chinese. I can't say one thing in Chinese, but you've learned how to count in Chinese. So, you go, okay, now I know, but you have to do this consciously. You have to be aware of it. I know how to count in Chinese, but what I don't know is how to say, my name is Gabriela and how are you? And Mm -hmm. so, that's my next step. So that the best learners are people who are actually monitoring through, again, a set of tactics they use, where their learning is, what their next goal is, and what they have to do in order to achieve that.
1: So something like Duolingo, where they have, they sort of gamified that process, I think, where, you know, you can go back and see what you've done. You can see you know, you're now six steps away from the beginning, and you can see, you know, six steps, and then I'll be able to do this. That's sort of what they're doing. That's right. Hmm. That's right.
2: They so there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of research about gamma, gamification, which I don't know, um, and I know that getting those kinds of rewards, interim rewards, can be very motivating. Um, The only thing I would say about self-regulated learning is you want to say to yourself, and I've learned this, and now I'm going to learn that. Mm. And you might say to yourself, and I learned how to count in Chinese because I made flashcards, and that works for me. And that's really another important point is that, I mean, I'm talking about strategies and tactics, but it depends on you as a learner. Some things will work for you and some things won't. And it also depends on are you trying to learn physics or are you trying to learn to be a team leader? You just got a promotion, you were an analyst and now you want to be the team leader. So that, those tactics that you're going to use, those strategies will depend on what you're trying to learn.
1: Ah, interesting. So yeah, you, I guess the difference between Duolingo and doing it yourself is it, you've actually got to put the thought into where you actually are. Right. And then you've also got to figure out what works with um yeah, the specific um thing you're trying to learn, what works for you. If I know that um flashcards don't work for me, I've tried them before, I've tried them many times, I'm not gonna use flashcards because they're not gonna work for me.
2: Exactly. That's right. Mm.
1: Okay. Um and we mentioned before um setting goals. Um so how do they impact our ability to learn?
2: I think they're extremely important. So um, I have a good friend and colleague who is at the National University of Singapore. He's wrote a book called Strategic Learning, Uh, Bob Cammie. I'll give him a plug. And um, he says the very first thing about strategic learning is setting a goal. Um, now, the question is how big or how small is that goal? And so if the goal is I'm going to learn Chinese, then maybe that'll dissuade you from trying. If the goal is this week, all I'm going to do is learn to count in Chinese, then that's an achievable goal. Then you reflect, as you just said, flesh cards don't work for me. You reflect on it and then the next goal you set is whatever comes after that. So I think goal setting is actually... See, when we're in school, the teacher sets goals for us. Whether you're Mm. in elementary school, high school, or college, the teacher sets goals for us. Well, you're going to learn how to add, subtract, divide, and multiply. When we leave school and we're trying to learn for productivity, then we have to set the goals for ourselves and that becomes in itself an exercise. Mm -hmm. Do
1: you have any tips to help us set our own goals and or what makes a good goal versus a bad goal?
2: No, because um, I think it has so much to do with the individual and what they are trying to achieve. The only thing from my personal experience that I've learned is If I make the goal too big, I get very frustrated. I get stressed. I have learned to make the goals smaller.
1: Okay. So I guess, yeah, um, try one thing uh, with goals. If it doesn't work, try something else. I guess the most important thing is to reflect what you've done. Exactly. And move on from there. And I guess, yeah, cutting it into smaller pieces, is it always works for me as well. If I feel overwhelmed by a project... Okay, first, I've got to do this one thing, then I've got to do the next things. Right.
2: And Mm. I am a list maker from I mean, I think I just like popped out making lists, you know, learn to speak, uh, learn to walk. Um, So I'm a list maker, because it gives me then an overall sense of where I'm going. And then also I get to check things off the list. And that makes me feel better.
1: So the other thing that I've noticed in our discussion is that, um, we need to have the time to actually, you know, learn everything, you know, you need the time to figure out what works for you to set goals, to go back and, you know, look at things over several days rather than trying to learn it all in one go. Um, so how can we kind of, you know, um, manage our time in such a way that we have enough time?
2: If I knew the answer to that, <laughs> I'd be really rich. Um, again, I, I think it comes back to setting priorities. Um, and I know that that's a very knee jerk answer. Um, mm-hmm. The point that I, I'm trying to get across and I'm sure other people, I've, I've looked at some of your podcasts so I know that this is something that you've talked to other experts about. Um, I think that it's a matter of always reflecting and then revising as you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope that some of the strategies that we've talked about this evening will help people learn more efficiently. So that's for me, that's really the name of the game. Once you get out of school is how do you learn efficiently? Um, And I just think that you you have to figure out what's important and then set those priorities. We know that learning doesn't take place. And this is sort of silly to say, if you're tired, if you're hungry, if you're, again, anxious, all of that will get in the way of the brain doing what it needs to do. Okay. Again, easy for me to say and harder to do, I know.
1: Okay, so you've got to also, on top of learning these strategies, actually, um, I guess, make your environment or your, your body such that it's um, available, it's, it's ready to learn.
2: Right, and a whole piece of the research in self-regulated learning is how to set up an environment that's conducive to learning. So again, often quiet, often away. But if you've got kids, I don't know how you you do that necessarily, But, but we do know that the environment in which you are learning is going to be important. I'll say one other thing that we haven't touched on we also know that learning not only has an emotional component but has a social component so as i said i've i've done a lot of research in digital learning and originally the massive online open courses what we see over and over again is that people who are learning online if they can learn with a buddy that that tends to foster learning so there's a social component to learning, so again, to go back to your roller skating, if you have somebody who is about at your level, and the two of you can practice together, it's likely that you'll foster each other's learning more quickly than if you were learning individually.
1: In a, in the roller skating sense, that really makes sense, but. I don't know. I've always found that when you put two people in the same room and you're trying to study, you end up talking about things that aren't relevant or you get distracted or I personally don't like studying with other people because I don't like hearing them. So is it just a matter of like figuring out what works for you or are there some strategies you can use there to sort of help it, um, be a bit more productive? Right so let's say you weren't in
2: the same room studying and you weren't talking out loud let's say you were just you were each so we're we're looking at a um, course called the foundations of modern finance uh it's online so you have a study buddy and the both of you set goals you know we're going to spend an hour on the problem sets and then you get back together and you say okay where did you get stuck in this problem set and that person says at this point oh i got that but i didn't understand this so you get that worked out next week okay i'm going to check in with you gabriella and see if you did the second problem set and where those where you might have had challenges so it doesn't have to be stuck in the same room together it can be setting goals together and then having somebody who you're accountable to for those
1: goals Okay. Interesting. I have actually been doing that with my university studies where, you know, I'm doing it online. So I do everything at home by myself, but I have someone I check in with every week and we go, Oh, I don't really know what I should do for my discussion, you know, and I can give us some, some answers. And then I'm like, Oh, but I don't understand this result. Can you look at it? Um, and I mean, I have personally found that immensely helpful with, um, university, um, because we're both good at different things. Right. And we find that people who use
2: discussion forums on online courses, either asking or answering questions, that there is some correlation between that and how well you do in the course.
1: Really? I really dislike using the discussion forums.
2: (laughs) And most people do. Uh, I agree with that. Um, But we do find that for those few people who do use them, they do result in in better performance in the course.
1: Okay. I need to start doing that then. <laughs> um, uh, we had a few more questions. Um so there's this mon- there's this common misconception um that younger generations are uh, multitaskers. Um, you know, that we're on our phones and watching TV and eating dinner at the same time. Um or uh, listening to music and trying to study at the same time. Um, do you think that's possible? Can there, you know, is it possible to do two things at the same time? So,
2: remember I was gonna ask you for your definition. So your definition of multitasking is doing two things at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. But remember we talked about you learning about Catherine the Great and Chinese. Yes. So in some sense, if you expand the time frame. You are doing two things at the same time now. Whether or not that would be called multitasking, I don't know. But we did a very interesting study. I think very interesting um, on MIT undergrads who have to take um, physics, introductory physics. Usually, they don't want to, um, and they put the faculty put it. It does the they do meet in the classroom, but the faculty put a lot of the materials online. And what we saw is again, there was a correlation between moving away from the problem you were trying to answer on the homework, doing something else, and then coming back to that problem. And we think that that goes back to that spacing issue, that the brain needs some time to sort of do its magic, and then um, it can come back with a fresh start. Now, I would imagine, I am not this person, but I imagine some people study very well with music in the background. The question is, with multitasking is, are you focusing on the learning or are you distracting yourself? So.
1: And I guess that's for uh, you to decide. No one can tell you.
2: That's right. Exactly. That's right. Mm.
1: And what you said about the, you know, studying one thing and then going away, thinking about it and coming back and having solved the problem, that seems like problem solving. So is that one way to, I guess, improve your problem solving is to set that, you know, learning two things concurrently on separate days? Um, so it depends
2: on whether or not, and remember, I was also going to ask you what your definition of a problem was. Um. Mm-hmm. So, if you define the problem as, I have to learn about Catherine the Great's reign, I guess in some sense that's that's problem solving. Um, I don't consider myself an expert on problem solving. Many of the engineering faculty uh, do. Um, and the little bit that I have read is that the process of problem solving is much like the process of strategic learning. That is set the goal. Gather information. Watch what you're doing. Do it. Reflect. Revise. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's true. And has this ever happened to you? It's happens to me where I'll go to sleep with a problem and I'll wake up in the morning and think, ah, that's how I have to do it. And I'm sure the brain is just like, okay, I don't have any other sensory input, so I'm focusing on that.
1: That actually happened to me the other day. Yep. Yep. It was amazing. I was like, oh, so yeah, good. yeah, <laughs> yep. um, So you also mentioned before that um, you know we have goals um, that are set in high school, in university by our teachers, right? And then once we finish high school or education, formal education, it's sort of up to us. Um, but do we should we take control in when we're still in education? Is that something that is just up to the institutions?
2: So, you've opened up a whole can of worms. Uh, (laughs) As I said, I I was head of the Teaching and Learning Lab at MIT for a number of years. And what we tried to do is to improve teaching and learning at MIT. And Mm -hmm. it's a very difficult thing, I can tell you. Um, So, there have been historically schools, elementary schools, high schools, and colleges that allows students to determine their own path through those institutions. For the most part, those institutions don't let students um, determine their own paths and there are a lot of political and cultural reasons for that. Um, I think that uh, Teachers have to guide, they have to coach, um, they have to support, um, but often teachers believe that what they have to do is be the repository of information that goes from their brain to the students. And, And again, everything that we know about learning does not prove that, does not bear that out. What colleges can do, university schools can do, is they can really help that social component.
1: Okay. So, yeah, putting the students in together um, and allowing them to form those, I guess, study relationships.
2: Or even being more... uh, engineering, to engineer more. So, for example, my students um, work in teams for a capstone project. I put them in teams. I don't allow them to select their teams because I know certain students have certain strengths and certain weaknesses, and I want them to complement each other. So, sometimes the teacher can be more um, specific, more Uh, they can, they can engineer those learning opportunities more specifically. Hmm.
1: Interesting. And I guess in that case, the teacher isn't, they are the teacher there, but they're also, I guess, a social engineer as, yeah. Um, they have to sort of know people and they need to know more than just the topic. They need to know how, how people work and, um, how people think.
2: And how people learn. Mm, And at least at the university level, in the States, you're better in Australia than we are about this. We don't help beginning faculty know how to help students learn.
1: Mm. Yeah, because I think once you get to university, you know, you just kind of or the teachers at least you know it's it's you know your topic but you don't necessarily know how to teach whereas right. when you go to when you're a high school teacher you learn how to teach i guess well you learn more well you learn more yeah
2: yeah hmm. you're an elementary and high school teacher but australia has been at the forefront actually of helping university level faculty learn how to teach
1: hmm, i didn't know that
2: Yep. Huh, and one of the leading people, I was trying to find her name because you're at Monash, right? Mm-hmm. One of the leading people in that area was at Monash. But for the life huh. of me, I can't pull from long-term memory to working memory to remember her name.
1: All right. I'll have to look her up. <laughs> if I can at least begin to think of her name. Mm, okay. Um, maybe we'll we'll put it in the show notes if we can find it. Okay. If not, maybe someone can tell us. Okay. Uh, was there anything that I've missed that you wanted to talk about? I I have all of my flashcards
2: here. Um, and I think we've pretty much gone through, through everything. Um, Great. Yep, that were on my flashcards. Perfect.
1: Uh, so what is something that you do in your own life to improve your learning skills?
2: I try, have tried, particularly over the last three, four years, to um, not get frustrated with myself, which is not an easy thing. I'm a perfectionist by personality and temperament, um, and I'm trying to give myself a little bit more of a break. Um, And I'm trying to remember just what we've talked about, which is to set goals that are realistic and to watch as I learn myself. So those are some of the things that I've done myself
1: I'm glad to hear that you, a learning expert, still has to actively set these things um, because, you know, I feel like, you know, you would be able to learn anything that you liked and have no problem.
2: Because that emotional component gets in the way. Um, Mm. We are just built in to our brain. Mm Okay.
1: Okay. so we're gonna move on to the open mic section, um, and that's where you get to talk about something that you're passionate about, but it doesn't have to be related to our topic today. Right. Did you have something that you wanted to talk about?
2: Yes, yeah, so this goes back to this book, the name of which I can't, I have to pick up my, uh, an immersive world I <laughs> underneath my laptop. Um, so I love animals, I just adore them. And you and I talked about the fact that we each have a cat and a dog, Um, and there's nothing I like better than spending time with them. Um, my husband, I don't know anything about physics. He doesn't know anything about social science, but, but we can talk about what the cat and the dog did that day. And also actually, if you watch, you'll see how they learn and how they communicate because they do very, that very well. Um, so my cat who we just adopted a little while ago, um, she's learned where the treats are kept. And when I open that particular drawer, which is amazing, because I have like 10 drawers in my kitchen, I open that drawer, she comes running. And so she knows where the treats are.
1: That's so uh, funny.
2: Yep. We had to move them from the closet because she figured out how to open up the closet door, but she hasn't figured out the drawer yet. Um so that's that's how I relax that's my passion that's what I love to talk about and do.
1: Uh yeah, my cat um like you said my partner and I spend, you know, uh hey, come into this room, look at what Felix is doing now. It's it seems to be every every hour or so we're fascinated by what he's doing. Um thankfully he hasn't learned um how to open the uh food bags and he doesn't know how to open the treat bags because otherwise he would um, eat himself to death uh, because he just loves his food, but he's not smart enough, I think, to or too lazy to figure it out. That's
2: it. And what kind of cat? What's his coloring?
1: So he's a ginger cat. Uh. Uh, He's got one eye. Uh. Um, And, um, yeah, he's just so sweet. He just loves uh, cuddling up in the morning Uh. Um, after he spent an hour screaming at us for breakfast. And what kind of dog do you have? Uh, so Jasper, he's a brown poodle. He's actually my oh. dad's dog, technically. Lives with my dad. Um, but um, he's mine because I raised him. Is
2: he standard or miniature oh, he's, toy? Uh,
1: miniature, yeah. Yeah. So, Good size. I can carry him in one arm, but not for too long. So we think
2: Callie, whom we've got from a shelter, is mm-hmm. part poodle um ah. but we're not sure
1: mm-hmm. so yeah. what are your uh what's your uh so Callie. um what's she uh, he or she like she is
2: so uh, cuddly the cat is not the cat was a street cat and so she's learning to interact with humans but Callie, who's a she um she wants nothing more than to be petted all the time and Callie can count to four because if there are, if my husband and I are lying on each side of her and there are only three, three, three hands on her, she will paw at us for the fourth hand.
1: Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. My, uh, Jasper, my dog, he um, learned um, without us teaching him that if he goes around a pole and we say round, he'll come back around the pole, he'll untangle himself.
2: My former. My former cat Quinny could do that.
1: I think pets are so smart. You always, you know, um, you think that you can only train them to sit, and but they're very smart. They understand what's happening.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure, and they've learned.
1: Yeah, just like us.
2: That's right. That's right.
1: And I wonder if they have these conversations. Like, they know that I like to eat my breakfast at four o'clock in the morning. So I taught them, and now they know. Yeah,
2: yeah we we talk about the fact that we're the animal servants. Mm -hmm. um so my sermon is not getting up and giving me breakfast yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) so thank you so much for joining me today it was such a pleasure it was so much fun yeah uh and and i love that we get to talk about something like animals at the end because that's right i love talking about my pets me too (laughs) great so if our listeners want to find out more about you um where can they find you
2: so what they should do is go to the mit sloan the MIT website put in the MIT Sloan School of Management. I'll get that website and just put in my name and there's a whole biography and some of the research that I have done.
1: Great. Thank you. Um, And thank you so much for joining us. Oh, and if people do want to find those links, um, they can find them in our show notes, um, just so that it's nice and easy to find
0: you. So, Thank you so much.
2: It's been a pleasure, as I said.
0: Thank you. You have been listening to Work in Progress, the personal productivity science insights podcast produced by Life Management Science Labs. Listen to episodes from LMSL's 10 life management perspectives on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or other podcasting apps on your smartphone. If you enjoyed this show, please consider rating our show, sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it and us grow to bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, pp.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Joanna. Thanks for tuning in.